Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. I love hearing people's stories, especially people of faith. In this episode, you'll get to know Bob Jones, a professor at the Atlanta Bible College. He's equally adept teaching chemistry or physics as he is Old Testament or systematic theology. In fact, Old Testament has really been his passion for his whole life. Now in his 70s, Jones looks back on his life to see how God led him through it all, even in the darkest of times. Here now is episode 360, The Making of an Old Testament Professor with Bob Jones. Welcome, Bob Jones, to Restitutio. I'm so glad you could join me today. Thank you very much. Glad to do this and have a chat with you. Why don't we start by you just telling a little bit about yourself. How did you end up becoming a Bible professor? What's that story? All right. Well, I was basically born in the back pew of the Church of God, Abrahamic Faith. Mm-hmm. And all along, my father was a school teacher, math teacher, junior high, most of his career, and I admired my father for that. And so I kind of felt all along, since my skill set seemed to be my brain, that I should be doing some learning and then teaching later on. And when I went to, uh, it used to be called Junior Senior Weekend at the Bible College, and there was a few days that that any student from wherever juniors and seniors high school would come to the Bible college in Oregon, Illinois at the time. And I just, first of all, fell in love with the town of Oregon, Illinois. And I thought, there's the way I should be focusing my life is teaching the Bible because God put a spirit in me of enjoying that and I knew I should be a teacher because I felt that connection with my, what my father was doing. And so basically in high school, I decided at that point in time, somehow or another, my life was going to become a Bible college professor at, at Oregon Bible College at the time. You came to that understanding in high school, huh? Yeah, in high oh. school, even though, well, as I got to my senior year and we're all supposed to be applying to colleges and picking the right college and all that stuff, I kind of thought that was irrelevant because I should be going to the Bible college right away. Well, my father encouraged me to do another college option first. And at first, I wasn't real happy with that whole thing because he says, well, not all preachers get paid a whole lot of money. And you may or may not like that career, and it would be good to have something else to fall back on. So maybe you ought to do this. Well, I ended up being accepted to go to Case Institute of Technology in Cleveland, Ohio, the engineering okay. school. And uh, I thought, well, this is kind of a parentheses or a, or a detour in my life. And uh, So is that what you did? You went to engineering I, school? I, I did do that, and I was valedictorian in my high school class, and so I guess maybe I had a little high-minded of how well I was going to do in college. Somebody told me, drop down a, a letter grade when you go to college from what you do in high school. Yeah, my A's became B's and C's in college in a hurry. Wow. And so I thought, this is God telling me that I was supposed to be going to Bible college in the first place. And I started doing poorer and poorer, and I got my first D in my life in my sophomore year in a chemistry class. And I thought, this is it. God does not want me here. So my second semester of my sophomore year, I made a fleece test with God. Okay, let's hear about that. Fleece test was, God, if I get all A's in all of my classes here at Case Tech, I will stay. Otherwise, I will take that as a sign from you that I abort this plan and go to Bible college. I thought there's not a chance. I didn't understand calculus. I was in a computer class that I had no idea what was going on and a physics class I didn't think I was doing well in. I thought there was no way. Yes, I got all A's and I still to this day don't know how that happened. 
but God wanted me to stay there. So I stayed in my junior year, and I started also turning things around. I was My faith was being challenged a little bit the first uh, two years. And hearing things like, oh, there's no miracles, and uh, yeah. God can't do this, and don't pay any attention. The Bible's just another book and all that stuff. And I had never heard that before. Challenged my faith. I even took a couple elective classes in Bible there, Old Testament one and a New Testament one from these, I don't know. From a liberal perspective. Yeah, you could put it that way, a liberal perspective. And that challenged me too. And I thought, well, I don't know whether they're right or what's going on. But eventually, this fleece test and all, go back to my junior year, and things just, like the cloud lifted, and I figured it out or something. I started getting my B's and A's. Cracked the code. Yeah, I cracked the code. (laughs) And... I finished with, at one point, I was had about a 2.5 or something GPA. I end up with a 3.02, just enough to barely get the word honors <laughs> written on my diploma as I graduated, and I had my four-year degree. I changed my major a couple times. I ended up majoring in chemistry. With, well, that's the class that you got your D in, right? And it was organic chemistry. I got a D in, and I ended up doing well enough with that, and I had a lot of coursework in math and physics. And uh, so then I, well, then I went to the Bible college and dad also. Wait, so you already had a bachelor's degree from Case Tech in chemistry. And then you went to another bachelor's from Oregon Bible College. That is correct. In Illinois. Okay. I did, I did a three-year program because I had enough credits to transfer. A lot of people, when they get a four-year degree, they come here, they uh, want to get done in two years. Well, I looked at the curriculum of the Bible college it was a three-year cycle of covering, eventually covering every Bible book or section of the Bible, Old and New Testament. It was on a three-year rotation. And if I thought, if I'm going to teach Bible, I don't want to do it in two and miss some of the Bible stuff. So I did a three-year program. Did very well at the Bible college. I got all A's there. And so I got a, had a 4.0 and got the Silver disc is what they call it for the... Are you a silver disc recipient? I was, at the time, I was the third one. Wow, congratulations. The the previous two had the last name of Krogh. (laughs) So you broke the Krogh mold. Yes, I did. And since then, there's maybe eight or ten others that have made the silver disc. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so I thought, well, that was what God wanted me to do. And while there, I started conversation with the uh, staff Mm -hmm. about uh, potential teaching. And they encouraged me to get a master's degree rather than just teach with a bachelor's degree only. Uh And what did you think about that? As Nola says now, I should have been a professional student. I really enjoyed going to school and all that. And if somebody would have paid me to just be a student, I'd probably still be a student now instead of a teacher. I think we have that in common. And I guess the good news about being a teacher is you get to be a student while you're a teacher. So anyway, they encouraged me that way, and I said, well, I'm not sure how I can afford this. And they said, well, we think we can arrange for some money and some support. And so I chose Wheaton. Well, first of all, I went for one year as as a full-time pastor at a small church, Flag Center Community Church in Rochelle, not too far from Oregon, Illinois. And so I was a pastor for one year, and I determined that really wasn't my calling. And the church was having trouble paying me. And yet they wanted to do some expansion and remodeling the building. I thought, if I back out of this, they can use some of the money that they were paying me and do what they wanted to do. I would still attend there. But anyway, so I started going to Wheaton College. I heard that Wheaton was good and great and all that other stuff, and I fell in love with Wheaton, too. And so I took my Hebrew courses there. And then after the end of one year of being, and I, well, I did a couple more years of uh, part-time going to the, my master's program and did, oh, I was a quality control person at a meatpacking plant in town while I was going to the college part-time. And then the money became available for me to be able to go full-time, so I just moved to Wheaton. So how many years did it take for you to finish at Wheaton? Well, considering the part-time years, it was only one full-time year. It was three years, two years of part-timey stuff, 
And then one year going and knocking myself out, taking as much as I possibly could every quarter. Uh And I got my master's degree. It's called Theological Studies, Old Testament. Yeah. Emphasis. That's what what I have, too, Master's of Theological Studies. But Mm. mine was in church history Mm -hmm. focus as opposed to Old Testament. So that's how it goes. So that is 10 years of college. Uh, Yeah, and then there's been some other years of college along the way, too, (laughs) to go and get a... I so did you went back to college again after this? After all that, in 1976, I started teaching at Oregon Bible College. Okay. And up until 19, well, 1980 was a crisis year in my life of my uh, wife left me. And I wasn't sure that God would approve of me being divorced. So for a long time, I just didn't know what to do until I felt like I had a voice in my ear. It's okay, Bob. It's, divorce is really okay. I will forgive you. So I heard that, and I thought, well, I'll go ahead. And so I went through with the divorce, and I was able to continue teaching in the Bible college. But then when an old friend from way back in my life came back into my life, Nola, and we determined that we want to be married, I was told that uh, the day you get married, you don't have a job any longer. Okay, so... Divorce was okay, but not remarriage. That yeah, from their standpoint at that time. Yeah, at that that was at that time. That was 1981 then. Okay. And so, I for 20 years I had a parenthesis in my life. Part of which that that parenthesis in my life, I kept saying to my mother and father, "I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher." Well, figure out what you need to do to be a public school teacher. Well, hold on. Let me pause you there. So you're saying that you did get remarried and you did lose your job. Mm-hmm. And yes. that, that began a 20-year hiatus from teaching in a Bible college environment. Just clarifying that. So um, exactly. what did you do for that 20 years? Well, for well, first of all, it was, a, it was a step of faith to say I can find a job. And you knew it wouldn't be in what I wanted to do. But I went to a printing shop, and I figured, well, since I've been grading papers, maybe proofreading would be, and it clicked. So I was a proofreader for six and a half years until... Wow, so your grammar's pretty good. I guess. (laughs) People still find mistakes in what I do, and I find my own mistakes a lot. Anyway. um, But you know the rules. uh, Well, I know how it's... I guess how it's supposed to go. (laughs) Yeah. Toward the end of that period of time, talking to my parents, I really want to be a teacher, they said, well, what do you need to do? And so I investigated, and it turned out that uh, there was this whole list of courses that if you take all this stuff, then you can get your uh, teacher certificate in the state of Illinois. So I took all those courses, and so I, that was my going back to school for about another year and a half of full-time and bless her heart, my mother had been retired from nursing. She went back to nursing and virtually gave me her entire salary Wow! for a year and a half to pay for living while I went full-time to college. Now, what college was this? What was your no, major? This would be Northern Illinois University uh-huh. in DeKalb, okay. Illinois. And uh, my major was secondary education, oh. which was high school. I knew that it would have to be. And was this grad school or undergrad? These were grad school courses. Okay. These okay. were grad school courses. So, so your fourth th- college? I uh, guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then along the way, I took a couple community college courses, too, right. <laughs> at a different right. place yet. So that had been a fifth yeah. one. Anyway, so when I got the last course finished that I needed and was required to have for my teacher certificate, I stopped. And that was two classes or six credit hours short of a second master's degree. But my goal was not the master's degree. My goal was to get a job teaching. Right. So I stopped. And did you achieve that? I achieved the teaching. And then I was able to do some public school teaching for about eight years and then throw in there another quality control chemistry kind of a thing when the first teaching job was very low pay at a small private school and then ended up some public schools. And what were you teaching? Uh, I was teaching chemistry and physics and Science. Science courses. A couple algebra courses along the way also. Arriving back at where I am right now, I'm so thankful that God has gifted me in both of the areas of Bible theology and science because I can use 
science illustrations in my Bible and theology classes. And as long as I'm teaching at a private school, which I am right now, <laughs> I can talk God stuff in my science classes because, in fact, they want me to. Right. So hold on. <laughs> Let's just catch up the listeners. So you currently are teaching at the Atlanta Bible College where you have been since... 2008. 2008. I'm, I'm okay. my 12th year. And you're also still teaching chemistry. It's physics. You're st- you're also still teaching physics in a private Christian Christian high school. Christian high school. So you're not too far from here. So you're bivocational. I guess you could say it that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing both of those since 2008, or the, the 2011 is when I started the. Uh, physics teaching at the private school. That's only one day a week because they're trying to have a college format for their high school program, which is a large meeting time once a week and then give the students homework enough that keeps them busy until the next week. That's pretty convenient for your lifestyle, right? Yep. So basically four days a week, I'm here full time doing things. Not last semester, I taught six classes on those four days. Now it's down to three classes on those four days, but I still have the one day that I teach this because things don't change at a semester at a high school like they do at a semester at a college. All right, so we're up to date. I guess so. I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're caught up. And I, I, Well, I taught at Rock River Christian College in Beloit, Wisconsin from 2001 to 2008. That was my return to the classroom of a Bible okay. college environment. And then when they notified me that I was going to be dropped down to adjunct status there because of their budget and income or lack thereof. I called down here to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and Tim Jones was in charge at the time. I said, would I be welcome to come back? And this is the place that had told me no 20-some years earlier. He says, sure, you're welcome to come back. And so I'm very happy. This is where I've wanted to be at this college basically all my life. And it's I've had a few detours, but <laughs> you're here, back. Here, here I am, and this is where <laughs> and, I will retire been, from. Yeah, you've been here for 12 years. This is my 12th uh, year down here in Atlanta. Yep. So let me ask you about what you teach about, what you're passionate about, which is the Old Testament. Yes. Now, why did you pick Old Testament instead of New Testament as just a starting well, place? Real, really simple thing. I'm sitting there in church as a growing young man, and I'm thinking, why does nobody pay any attention to the first three quarters of this book that we call the precious bible word of god and it didn't happen it didn't happen and oh there's a verse and then it didn't happen and then it happened i thought somebody's got to defend or give justification for this or else we're messed up in the whole thing here so i decided i was going to be choosing old testament all along and again that was probably part of my high school decision, not only just teach Bible, teach that part of the Bible. And I didn't see anybody stepping to the plate and defending it the way I want to and the way I feel I have been doing for the 27 years that I've been doing this fuller part-time. Well, so what what is so exciting about the Old Testament? What what have you uncovered over your, your many years of studying it that you know makes you so passionate about it still? All these oh, years yeah. oh, later. Oh, it's still it's still there for sure. Part of what it is is, especially like in Genesis, that people know the stories in Genesis, and those are ordinary folks trying to live a life of faith, just like we are, and they wanted fulfillment in their life. They wanted love. They wanted family. They they wanted all those kind. They wanted a relationship with God. The only as as I joke about in class, the only difference between Abraham and the patriarchs and us is we have laptops. If there was any other major difference, I think I could figure it out, but there isn't anything else different. Our technology is different, but the the deep down inside of us, they and we, same, same, same. And so their struggles with faith, and they got something right and they got some things wrong. And so do we. And so in that sense, I can identify with that. And then how can you not identify with the Proverbs and what they say for day-to-day living principles and the beauty of the Psalms? Wow. And then the other thing is 
There's a book that's in the middle of the Pentateuch that nobody pays any attention to. Starts with an L and ends with Aviticus. <laughs> and I thought that's another thing. So I have written even a book about commentary on Leviticus right here. I'm going to tie it in with Hebrews because we have a course in our catalog here, Leviticus and Hebrews. And I taught that and I was looking for or Did anybody else ever write a book connecting those two? Can't find it. So this is intended to be that. I got through the Leviticus part and through the introduction to the Hebrews part. Introduction is my who, what, when, where, why, and how stuff. And then I had to stop because I had to actually teach the course and I didn't have enough time to write anymore. Right. So it's not completed, but the Leviticus part of it's done. Mm -hmm. So Leviticus. And then something about Ecclesiastes way, way, way back. I'm not even sure I can put a finger on it, captured me. Something grabbed you, huh? And it still has me. And so when I get to my master's at program at Wheaton, they said, you can take two classes or you can write one thesis. Either way, that qualifies you to get your master's degree. I thought, no, no, I'm not going to take the easy way out of doing classes. Everybody goes, oh, write a thesis, write a thesis. I don't. I didn't feel that way. I thought... I must write about Ecclesiastes. Furthermore, since it has so many things about one of our pillars of faith, the sleep of the dead, and I even believe the hope of the resurrection is in that book too. So I thought, I can write at Wheaton with their authorization a book that really says something quite different from their perspective on the nature of man. And I did, and... When they read it, they said, well, it's a very, very good book, and we would be happy to give you an A- minus on this if you say that the point that you're making about the nature of man and sleep of the dead, it's only found in Ecclesiastes, and progressive revelation clears it up for us later wow. on. I said, and if I don't, they say B+. Plus. <laughs> and, and it didn't even take a moment of thought, and I thought, B-plus is a good grade. Thank you very much. I'll take the B-plus. Wow. And so I left it that's open to my understanding that is throughout the whole Bible. They, right. did, they didn't want me to say it that way. Right, right, right. Wow, it's, that's incredible. So their doctrinal rules limited your grade, even yeah. though it was the same. Yeah, S- same thing. Yeah. Same thing, either way. One would just be you know mentioning <laughs> a little comment, oh, this gets cleared up later. Um, that's that's right. crazy. I hope they don't still do that today. But who knows, right? So have you written a book on Ecclesiastes then? Well, this this is my book here. My This is my master's thesis. Okay, it says the question of afterlife in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but this is not published. This is... That's just, there's this copy and there's one copy in the Wheaton College Library because that's what they do. They make two copies. Well, you pay for it. <laughs> you pay for two copies. You get to keep one, and their library gets to keep one. It says here, a thesis submitted to the faculty of the graduate school in partial fulfillment of the requirements for the degree of Master of Arts with a major in theological studies at Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois, August 1976. That is correct. Did they use uh, proper typewriters in that day? Well, the only way we had... had... The... <laughs> you didn't have, well, like... we had a real typewriter, yeah. What you would like do mechanical is you, you would type with a mechanical typewriter. <laughs> you could not make any mistakes or use any white out. Or, so if you made a mistake anywhere on the page, you had to uh, redo the whole page. And then you submit this stack of papers, and they would copy them and bind them in that form. So it and looks it's like 75 pages, but these, these are like there's, kind of There's a lot of bibli- bigger, bibliography. Bigger pages. There. 70 pages, not including the bibliography. And it's, uh, double those spa- are, it's double-spaced. Yep, yep. So uh, any thoughts about making that available? Uh, Self-publishing? No, no, nobody's really, nobody's really asked. Yeah, see, that's the thing is I would have to pay for that myself. For my two little booklets that I have published, self-published here, it costs a couple hundred dollars. The reason I did those is because I figured, well, I'm not in it to make money, but I don't want to lose money either. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I was going to pay $250, $300 to make something like this, I would hope I was going to eventually get maybe recover my cost. And those I've been able to, well, I can see either I have or I see the potential of recovering my cost. Uh-huh. And this one, I suppose I could, and I could consider it an investment investment. 
Well, I mean, or you could just put it online somewhere, right? Yeah, I suppose do some scanning of those pages or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, you could that maybe could... put it online. But uh, yeah, this... that's interesting. Tell me about these other two books you were just talking about, the intro books. Well, all right, this connects to uh, a class that I taught here toward the beginning of my time here in Atlanta. I use uh, a survey of the Old Testament by John Walton and Andrew Hill, fellow Wheatonites. <laughs> yes, yes. Or Walton's very famous. Whether yeah. whether Wheatonite is the correct word or not, Wheatonian? I don't know. It could be. That. <laughs> it, it could be that. <laughs> anyway, so I use that as my basic textbook for Old Testament survey, and one of the students, I think, it was even only my second year here said, I don't understand this textbook. I don't understand it at all. But when you talk about it, I do understand it. I think she was asking me to take the reading assignments out of the course. I see. But she says, she says when you talk about it in class, I understand it. But when I read it out, sit down and read it, I don't get it. So I says, well, what do you want me to do about that? And I just threw out, you know, put the ball back in her court. And she says, why don't you write a book? And I go to myself, don't have a good answer for that one. So <laughs> why <what> I, not? <laughs> so what I did is I boiled it down to since I had been in Illinois, I was a sports reporter for high school football and basketball games for a number of years. Started when my son was playing football a long time. It was in the early nineties. And then so I'd go to games and write the story and you get in the new, local newspaper. And the Newspaper questions for a reporter are always who, what, when, or why, and how. You put that in a story, and you got your story complete. So as being a newspaper reporter, what I thought it would do, and what I, what I had been teaching, but I just didn't have a book about it, is ask those questions, who, what, when, or why, and how, of each book before you start. And then you have a foundation as you go through the book to who was the writer. Oh, it was Peter. He's a fisherman. Or, oh, it was Moses, the lawgiver guy, and the shepherd, and so on, and all those things. So... You have to have those things in your mind you can interpret and read it and understand it better. So what I did was just boil down to a few couple paragraphs on each issue about each of the Old Testament books, who, what, when, where, why, and how of each book of the new of the Old Testament, and put it together and it comes out about like this. And how many pages is that? With the bibliography, the end, 124. 124 pages. So it's a, a small uh, paperback book, mm-hmm. but very useful for Bible study. And that's all it is in there. It's not intended to be a commentary. I didn't want it to be that way. Uh-huh. I sh- this is these are just the facts. Uh, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> Jack Webb and back and this, and then you read your Bible and figure it out, having this as your foundation. And then, since I taught at Rock River Christian College, I was teaching New Testament survey a lot too. I figured, well, I might as well go ahead, and even though I've not taught. A full year of New Testament survey here since I've been here. I taught one semester, second semester, when Dr. Joe Martin went to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so I filled in second semester. But I w- went ahead and did the same exact style I see. of this as from Matthew through Revelations. So here they are. And the only other thing I can think of to do with this is maybe I had to make, them make, into one book. make it into one book. And I've been told already, even though... The files for this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff already exist in computer things like this. They basically say, well, we're starting all over and you're going to have to pay. And it would be with a bigger book instead of around $300 for the whole project. And then 50 copies is what I start with always. It'd probably be $500 or something like that. And if nobody's going to ever use that and buy that, I don't feel that God wants me to throw my money away when I need to have that. So anyway, here's this. But those are my contributions to the world. I can require this because I'm teaching Old Testament. I can require this. And I did require this the one semester that I taught here. But this was a much more recent project, and this was a much more older project. Um, What else do you have here? So you, uh, have, here. so you have some, some show and tell here. Yeah, I show and tell. This is my start to the uh, title. Oh, that's just, this is the Hebrews-Leviticus yes. combo. This Hebrews is, owes Leviticus for theology. And Holy. The, and, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> Except, instead of tr- theology, it's the Y instead of the T. 
<laughs> I figure I, I have to have creative titles. Part of my fun for me is writing is the titles. And so there's a unique title. There's a unique title for that one. And then I have this. This is a complete book, but I haven't put it into bound form yet. But here it is there. The A, a brief survey of Jewish holidays. And then read the, read the line below that. Or Passover, Pentecost, Purim, and other procedures for the preservation of God's providence and people's perceptions. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so there's my fun title on that. And in one of your comments and your email to me about asking me if we could do this, how can the Old Testament connect with Christianity today? Yeah, yeah, talk about that. Each chapter of the... Well, I opened right to one of them. Each chapter of this, which comments on a, Hebrew, a Jewish holiday, I give the details of what they do and what it means to them. I put a Christian significance thing here. Oh, very good. And has God rescued you from the... This is Passover. Has God rescued you? Maybe you should celebrate that like every year the Jews celebrate being rescued from the bondage in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And and also I also use my style for my other, for my Who, What, When, When, Why, and How books. Is these are highlights, at, and the highlights are highlighted in bold face. And then we'll reproduce the Passover meal. That I've been to one full, honest, everything done right Passover meal. It was amazing. Mm. It was amazing. Do that, and that'll put something in you for sure. And then right. be ready for God to command us to obey him at a moment's notice. Oh, yes, because they were ready. As soon as God says, go, we're yeah. going. Should we not be so as well? And so each one of these, these chapters... Lear learning from the different holidays in the Old Testament and finding ways to no, you know, get that Christian significance today. That's, that's very cool. So what, what's the plan with this book? Are you uh, Right now it's sitting in this form. I suppose I could send it to a publisher and spend my $300 and get 50 copies, and nobody would buy it. <laughs> Why is that? I don't have a market. I don't have a forum for doing that. It's, there's no course in this. Uh-huh. And but you it already is, wrote it. Such a limited. Yeah, I know. I did. <laughs> I did as much as anything else. I did for my own benefit. But if somebody would actually want to buy this, but anyway, I wrote that. And, and, then the and so, how many pages would this one be? The uh, brief survey of Jewish holidays. If it's. Uh, if we do it in the pagination as I have it right here. Looks like I got 108 there. The one other thing that I have is what this. What else we got here? This is sort of a book form. It, it's in a notebook form. And there's my strange and unusual title there. Good, Good king, king, bad king, king rich king, king poor king. king. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this? A, a guide this, to the study of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Oh, I see. Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles was a course at Rock River Christian College, and I taught it once maybe twice in seven years there and uh, there was no book connecting all of those together so what I did is I, I wrote that and I put some tabs in there to and find information for myself a little bit better first Kings part and second Kings and so on and uh, this is kind of a commentary but in my own strange way of seeing things in the stories as if I were there and trying to get the enthusiasm and energy of the story here communicated to listeners, readers. So my comments on the Goliath story are very, they're still amusing to me and I wrote them years ago uh -huh. and that sort of thing. So, so you're, you're making it live for people. I'm trying, well, my goal has always been this, the Bible should not ever be a boring book that people and so, oh, when is he going to be done? I can put it away till next week. It's an exciting book, and because it's always been exciting to me, yeah. And that's the way I teach. I I teach with energy, and when my energy runs out, as I feel it is already doing, because I'm on the north side of seventy now, mm -hmm. um, I feel my energy is coming to an end. It's not over. I just don't know when the over point will be. I'm not saying it's now. I don't want it to be now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear you. But um, I try to make it so energetic mm -hmm. because I feel that. Right. Right. It's, it's amazing how similar we are 
in in so many ways. I mean, our educational yeah. journeys are yeah. very similar. I mm-hmm. did engineering first, and then mm-hmm. after right. I got that bachelor's, I went to the Atlanta Bible College, not the yeah. Oregon Bible yeah. College. Yeah. But then after that, I went to seminary. Sure. And, you know, I ended up doing the pastoral ministry instead of the Bible College. But I I do come down from time to time and yeah, teach. here you are. <laughs> teach but um and i also too have uh you know finished or semi-finished full book manuscripts that may never see the light of day but hopefully they will who knows um you and do. <laughs> uh yeah yeah i've got at least three of them that statement you just made about that you that almost like the unforgivable sin maybe that's saying it too strongly is to bore people with the bible oh it to is, me it, that is the most distasteful thing and so much right. of my own ministry and certainly teaching in the classroom is to make the Bible come alive for people. Exactly. And, and theology and church history. I mean, I'm oh, not oh, in, in oh, as many, much Bible oh. as you are. I'm more on the theology church history side. But, you know, to make that stuff live for people. Right. Because it matters. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and the worst thing you could say is that it's boring. If somebody says... The Bible is boring. It's not the Bible's fault. It's the professor or the teacher or, or the speaker about that Bible. Yeah. That's the problem. The the problem is not within the Bible. It is exciting, and it's life-changing, of course, too. So all of that. Talk to me about Hebrew for a little bit, because I know you did a lot with Hebrew uh, at Wheaton, and you have been studying yeah, obviously, mostly in English translation, but also in the in the original Hebrew, you've been studying this uh, these books of the Bible for so so many decades. If somebody asked you, "Do you think I should learn Hebrew?" What would you say? How much time and effort in your life are you willing to give to it? Because I don't think you should just say, "I'll, I'll give it an hour to a month, and I'll see where it goes." You, you can't get it that way, and I confess that I have not used it as much as I would like to have in the last several years. The last, I taught Hebrew every year of the five years that I was a professor at Oregon Bible College. I taught it every year. Mm-hmm. I taught it one year at Rock River Christian College. I have not taught it here yet, and I got the impression when I approached the subject a month or two or three ago, talking with people here that maybe I'm never going to. But yet I do enjoy it and I I enjoy looking into it and I try to keep it alive a little bit in my own mind. It certainly helps to do Psalm 119 every year in in Old Testament survey because it's got the headings of the Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Wah, Zion, Zion, all those things, eight verses on each one, uh-huh. the 176 verses and the whole thing. So that helps me at least refresh on that. And then every course in systematic theology, I bring it in Hebrew words a lot more than they would be normally in the books that we study. And uh, we're on salvation right now, so the Hebrew words that would correspond to salvation concepts, I bring those in. So I do it that way. I have done some translation, first of all, for part of my classwork at Wheaton, and then um, Dr. Dustin Smith and I, for one summer a couple of years ago now, just sat down and, and was it once a week or maybe it was twice a week, and just the two of us back and forth translating the same passage, discussing it, um, checking with each other on how this would go in your mind and my mind and so on. And we did a large portion of Daniel, some of Genesis, a little bit of Isaiah, and it's just fun to do, yeah. but I need to discipline myself to, to have the time to do that with teaching loads and with other things and designing Moodle classes for online people away from the college and so on. That has dominated enough of my time that Hebrew is slipping on me. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, as far as somebody else who came to you and asked about it, what would you say to them? If they said they had the time, would you say it's worth... Oh, while for, oh, I mean, uh, what what are the benefits of of studying it? It sounds like a distrustful thing to say, but you don't have to trust what somebody else translated the passage. And if you have your concordances or your or grammar list of things and rules and all those other things, you can look at what's there and determine how, in your own mind, we all have our personal prejudices. Of course, we do. Of course, we do. Theologically and 
ins and outs of this, this and that, but you can say, I believe that the literal translation is this, this, and this. And, oh, here's the Bible I use all the time. It doesn't say it that way. And then you can either say, well, maybe the Bible that I'm using smooths it out nicely enough. Because if you go literal word for word for word, it'll be wooden and choppy and it will never make sense. So you have to smooth it out, and then how much smoothing do you do? The question is, did they smooth it in a, yeah. in a way that's going against the grain of Scripture right. or with the grain it, of Scripture? Exactly. Right? And then you, so, make, you yeah. make your own call on those things if you understand right. what the words are. So it gives what, you the insider scoop on yeah. what the Bible really says. Sure does. Yeah. It sure does. You're not relying on John Doe or Jane Simpson or whatever. I'm making up names here. Yeah, yeah. Um, my Hebrew teacher says... Every translation is a commentary. In its own way, yes, it is. Exactly. And if you do your own, it's your commentary then. <laughs> yes. So it, don't say just because I'm doing it or you're doing it on your own, it's not a commentary. It still is. Right. Yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, let me ask you about kind of a hypothetical fun question here. If you could snap your fingers and change one thing in Christianity today, what, what do you think it would be? Well, I guess to keep beating this dead horse, let's let's pay some attention to the Old Testament. And uh, instead of, yeah, I get it. Jesus is in the New Testament. I get it. I get it. I get it. I mean, you're pro Jesus, right? Oh, pro Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Jesus is in the Old Testament, certainly by all the prophecy stuff that's there. And some of the stuff in the New Testament is intentionally looking back to that stuff anyway. So you, you're looking back to something that you don't understand or don't know. You better know that stuff. So that's not exactly an answer that you may or may not have wanted to hear at that point. But let's get back to the Old Testament as the foundation. And what was the Bible for Jesus? What was the Bible for Paul? What was the Bible for Peter and John and those others? It was the Old Testament. And when it says all scriptures God breathes, that's what they were talking about. And so we're telling God that something he wrote and inspired isn't worthy if we don't pay some attention to it. And so I don't, I don't want to ever hear that. So as you said, a couple of students say, tell him that Ecclesiastes is a worthless book. They know that that's the kind of a button. Right, right, right. This is uh, just just to, to catch you up here. Uh, just before this interview, a couple of students came in and they said, tell Bob that Ecclesiastes is worthless, <laughs> and that nobody should read it. And uh, so, uh, why why did they tell me to tell you that, Bob? Because they knew in class when they say something like that, I go, "Now wait a second, guys," and they they know that's a button. I, it's not like I fly off the handle or anything. That I go, but I call them down right now, and we're even coming up to it, baby. If not next Tuesday, the Tuesday after that was when we're going to be doing Ecclesiastes in class. And so I take my props with me and uh, I try to make sure that they understand that it's an extremely wonderful book. And it says, enjoy God's gift. God gave you life. Enjoy it. Make the most of your time. That eat, drink, and be merry stuff is not they be hedon, as you use the word, hedonistic. It's not being hedonistic or or Epicurean here, it's God gave you life, there's your gift. Show him you're appreciating his gift. That was, more I think about it, that was the kind of stuff that I saw in Ecclesiastes years and years ago, and why is nobody saying anything about that wonderful stuff in there? I have life from God, no other way other than to say it's from God. I want to show him that, thank you, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to do what I believe God wants me to do with my life, and it's in Ecclesiastes. Right. Yeah. So, so chapter one says it sounds pessimistic. Oh, oh bother! I, I usually say <laughs> it's like Eeyore. It, it, from, that's uh, that's 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 in here. From Winnie it's, the it's Pooh. A, <laughs> sounds like Eeyore wrote part of Ecclesiastes, and that's what a life lot of life is just worthless. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. A lot of scholars that I quoted in my thesis here say that. It sounds so pessimistic, so down in the dumps. How do you miss all that other stuff? And then the conclusion, the end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the whole duty of man. 
What is wrong with that? That's uh, the best ending to a book, maybe in the whole 66, <laughs> right there. Right, right. Very good, very good. Tell us about Moodle, about distance learning, because some of the listeners might be interested in signing up to take classes with you. How does that work, and how do they find out more about it? Well, uh, contact the college, Bible College office. You can go on atlantabiblecolleges.com, I think it is, our website. And somewhere in there, you can click for Moodle Online Courses. And I am just about finishing my 20th course that I've done for Moodle, from theology to world religions to Old Testament and the New Testament to book studies to uh, preaching. I'm working on a preaching class right now online. All sorts of courses. And what you do is you pay the full normal per hour rate to take a class uh -huh. at the college. You get enrolled in the course. And then week to week, I open up the material that is there for that week. And here's your reading assignment. And if you have to do a quiz or uh, whatever the assignments might happen to be each week to week, 16 weeks of material. And you take exactly the same quizzes and do the exact same assignments as the people here in person. The only thing is you don't get the, the jokes and the personality of the classroom time, although I touch up a little bit of my comments with a little spice of humor now, here now and again. But anyway, you still get me in that sense. Not that I'm that special, but I'm the one that's done 20 courses. Just sign up for that and anything you want to do, and you can be in New York. You can be in California. I have a student right now in Australia. Oh, so you can be in a different time zone. It still works. Just oh, fine? sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and is it mostly through email then? The correspondence, or through... uh, they can correspond with me by email through my. Or is it through a website? Well, you can correspond through the website itself, for the, through the Moodle course itself. Okay. There's a contact. Right. So this is just like regular distance it, learning. It, reg okay. any, any other college that would have a distance learning course is like that. Very it's good. It's a computer kind of thing. Very good. Now, uh, you mentioned a theology class, Old Testament, New Testament. What are some other classes that you can remember that you've already put in there? Uh, world religions, uh, ethics, it's systematic theology. There's uh, Old and New Testament survey, one and two. And uh, Old Testament poetry I have in there, which is Job through Song of Solomon. And that's a specific course there. And uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's not. Uh, oh, I have Bible study methods is in there. Bible study methods. Oh, uh, hermeneutics is another one. And so things like that. Very much the basic kind of things, which is what I teach here anyway. I teach the basics the introduction foundational stuff anyway. And uh, all those kind of things are available. Again, you go onto the website and you see the list of what's available and you say, I want this one. And we usually start and end those the same times as we would start and end of a semester, first or second semester of the regular school year. Now, if you look back over your time teaching, whether the first time around or the time at Rock River or the time here, at ABC, what would you say you're most proud of as far as the different things that you've done or developed over that period? Anything come to mind? Well, I'm proud of myself for having written some books because mm -hmm. when I was a child, I didn't really like those kind of assignments. I wanted the, the math problems and the chemistry problems that you can do in a calculator on a one sheet of paper and you have three or four questions done and all that. I didn't want to write anything a lot, but here I've done that. And when I get people like Dick Eldred, even, for example, he keeps coming to me and saying, you were the hardest teacher I ever had at the Bible college. And he says, at the time, I think I even hated you a little bit. But he says, now, in retrospect, you taught me so much, and I would never have learned what I learned without your pushing me to that limit. And so that kind of a comment, and when I realize my footprint is fairly large now, with the number of students from a couple generations ago and now that I'm affecting, it almost scares me that there are people out there that are going to be mimicking some of the things that I think and say because they've been in my classes. And I just hope I haven't messed anything up along the way. Well, you do have a reputation for being a strict teacher. Yeah, and, and, uh, and tough. Yeah, and, yeah and, I, and I think that's great. 
I think that's what college should be. This shouldn't be vacation Bible school here, (laughs) where you don't even have any homework. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. You're insistent that people write complete sentences. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Proper English. Oh yeah. That's all. That's all great. That's all great. Would you care to share any regrets that you wish you had done differently, or had done more and didn't get to, or? I, like that. I guess it's not altogether my situation. I regret that I haven't been able to do this continuously from 1976 when I started until now. Because that would be, what, that'd be 45 years at this point. And uh, in that sense, regretting that. And may I guess I sort of do regret not finishing up that second master's degree, but it's irrelevant in terms of what I do here. I still teach the Christian education courses because I've got almost a degree in education besides the Bible stuff. So I'm the guy probably for that until I hang up my spikes or my hang up my laser pointer or something like that. But I guess the regret is that I didn't have all those other years to do this. And whether I should could have done something differently, it wouldn't have been not Mary Nola. That's that's not an option on that one. We're now closing on 39 years, and so that makes us the newlyweds of our generation <laughs> because it's a second go-around for each of us. But we are happy, and I've got two wonderful kids and four wonderful grandchildren, and so there's no regrets on that part at all. I hope I have the strength and energy. My, I've had some eye surgeries and some other things along the way. I hope I have the strength and energy to keep going for a few more years and I hope somebody can step in and carry the ball of standing up for the Old Testament and presenting it in an exciting way. I hope somebody can do that in my stead when I'm gone. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, uh, thank you so much. Anything else you want to say by way of closing? Um, thanks for the opportunity to say these things, and it gets me some of the stuff is out of my head and off my chest now that I <laughs> didn't know was on there, but uh, I appreciate it chance to say all these things. Thank you very much, Sean. You're welcome. Well, that's it for this interview. If you'd like to get in touch with Bob Jones, you can email him rjones, that's R for Robert Jones, at atlantabiblecollege.com. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. If you'd like to take a look at his distance learning classes, you can go to atlantabiblecollege.com and scroll down on the homepage. You'll see distance learning on the left. Also, I've got a link in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to ask any questions or comments, you can come on to restitutio.org and just search for episode 360, The Making of an Old Testament Professor with Bob Jones, and you'll be able to find it there. I also wanted to read out a couple of comments on a recent article uh, we posted called Bible versus Racism on restitutio.org, where essentially I argued that the Bible excludes racism from the heart of Bible-believing people because of how God set up creation with diversity baked in from the design, how God intends eternity to be in the kingdom age when people from every tribe, nation, and language are able to be together in harmony, and how Christ has broken down barriers in his redemptive work so that there's now neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, and so on, all are one in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, basically, I was trying to make the case that uh, if you're a Bible person, you shouldn't be a racist, that you shouldn't think any one race is better than any other race. John writes in, your effort is appreciated. I won't be voting for either candidate, but open racism, which had laid latent, has violently manifested. Unfortunately, many will blow with the prevailing social wind, so we need to adjust the sails accordingly. Christianity can be used as a prop to uphold any ideology. Preaching the sermons on the plain and mountain and living those beliefs is a choice. Well, thanks for writing in, John. I'm not really sure what voting for a candidate has to do with the article on how we shouldn't be racist, but I agree with you that the teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, is, is an important teaching that we should live out today. In this article, I wasn't taking a political position. I work really hard to avoid taking political, especially partisan positions on Restitutio. It's not what this ministry is about. We're not about politics. We're not about telling you who to vote for or even, even if you should vote or not. That is up to you. 
and uh, try to try to have more of a balanced perspective on things, and or maybe not balanced, Bible-based perspective on things. And when I say Bible-based, I don't mean just proof texting. I mean reading it in its own context, within its own framework, and then applying it to our own issues today. Anyhow, Carlos also wrote in on the same article saying the New Testament shows little to no evidence that the early churches were to be social justice warriors fighting against racism, etc. As a matter of fact, a good biblical argument can be made that they had to accept a slavery society, according to Paul's letters. Well, I want to disagree with you on this, Carlos. Uh, First of all, the whole question of social justice warriors, that's a contested phrase. Different people mean different things by it. If you mean advocating for those who are mistreated in a society, then I think we can find plenty of examples of Jesus doing that, anywhere from his reaching out to the lepers to his uh, defending from the uh, woman who was a sinner who was washing his feet and crying that he stuck up for her and restored her and so on. So, uh, But if, if you're talking about some sort of a political movement that involves violence and that sort of thing, then obviously that's a different animal. But none of this is what this article was about. This article was about racism and uh, not harboring it in your own heart. Maybe there's a disconnect there uh, with this article. But regardless, on your next point, that you can make a biblical argument in favor of slavery— from Paul's epistles, I I really struggle to see that. I mean, maybe this is just my perspective on it, but I've thought about this question a lot, and I would love to do more research on it. But what we see in the Torah is really a curbing of slavery. Slavery, of course, is a a ubiquitous institution in the ancient world, and all all through, uh, throughout many, many, many centuries of, of human history, It's just taken for granted, right? So what does God do in the Torah with his own people, with Israel, in that time, at that place? He curbs it. He says, look, you can't enslave your own people. Just can't do it. And if you do it, you're limited to seven years, and you have to set them free. And uh, and he puts all these other restrictions on it. If you have a slave and you uh, hurt them, break their tooth, hurt their eye, you have to set them free. If a slave runs away and you find the slave and the slave's looking for shelter, you have to protect that slave. You can't send the slave back to its owners, right? So there's all these different laws in place in Torah that curb abuses within the institution of slavery. Yes, it does not abolish slavery, but it does make it a lot better to deal with within that society. And then we see also the New Testament, that Paul very explicitly says that if you can at all uh, get freedom from slavery, uh, you should do it. So that's that's very much an anti-slavery statement there in 1 Corinthians. And uh, then he says, but if if you can't, you know, you have to work within that framework. You want to be a good slave. You want to be honest and upright and all the rest that he says you should do. Uh, That's not endorsing slavery as an institution. That's saying, look, there's nothing you can do about the fact that this is an institution. Probably the most radical statement from Paul and his, uh, certainly his bent against slavery is found in the epistle to Philemon, where uh, Paul sends his runaway slave, Onesimus, back and insists that Philemon treat him as an equal, not as a slave, and that if he owes him anything, put it to Paul's account, that Paul pay for it. And then he, he lays it on a little thick, saying, well, Philemon basically owes his life to Paul because Paul's the one who shared the gospel with him. So uh, I, I, would, I, would, I think I would disagree with Carlos here. Uh, slavery was ubiquitous in the ancient world, whether we're talking about in ancient Near Eastern society or Roman, Greco-Roman society or in, in later time. But, you know, these abolitionist ideals that eventually flowered into action— in the 1800s in America and earlier than that in England and other places, these were rooted on basic biblical principles like love your neighbor as yourself or that we all have the same value before God. So I I think we have good reasons to be against slavery of any kind, whether it's uh, economic or certainly prostitution slavery or racial slavery, any of these kinds of slaveries. I think we have good reasons to be against it. But again, that's not what this article is about. This article is about racism 
And uh, I think I was able to establish that the Bible is against racism, full stop. doesn't matter what kind of racism we're talking about. So uh, thanks for writing in. If any of you have further questions, criticisms, comments, or, or suggestions for this topic, uh, you can find this article at restitutio.org and click Articles on the menu at the top. Then you have to click on Short Articles, and you'll be able to find it there. Or you could just type in Racism, and you'll find it in, in a search that way. So we'd love to hear more from any of you on this subject. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll catch you next week. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do that at restitutio.org. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.